So today we'll be concluding this chapter, chapter five, and then we'll take up chapter six. And after chapter six, it concludes the first section of the Gita. And I was just reading here, the 18 chapters of the Gita can be divided into three sets of six chapters each. These three sets represent and elaborate elaborate the divine aphorism of the Vedas, Tatvam Asi. Tatvam Asi means that thou art. That thou art Brahman. That thou art God. So the first six chapters explains Vam, Vam, thou. The middle six, that, meaning God. And the last six, the oneness of you and God. So this is how the Gita is divided into three sections. The first six chapters, second six chapters, and the third six chapters. And in fact, in Swamiji's first edition of the Gita is actually divided into three books. So this is the first six chapters in one book. So there are three books with six chapters in each book. Just to give you, uh, now they're all in one, um, but this is how actually it was done because of the three different sections of the Gita. So I've got a very old copy. So there's only six chapters in this first book. I just thought I'll uh, explain that to you. So you have an idea of why, uh, sort of um, why are there um, three sections of six chapters? So, Bhagavad Gita chapter 5, renunciation precedes meditation and self-realization. Topic 4, verse 27 to 29. So a quick recap. A yogi understands the uselessness of seeking happiness in the world. He's come to that level of understanding that actually... Whatever I do in the world is not making me truly happy. It comes to the understanding. Therefore, he becomes a seeker. Well, what is the purpose of life? What am I meant to do? And then he comes across the knowledge of the self. And when he comes across this knowledge, he becomes attached to the self. That becomes his goal in life. And when he seeks the self, the more he becomes attached to the self, the more he discovers and uncovers the self within, the more happiness he finds. He is said to rejoice within, is illumined within. That is true happiness. So what do we need to do, we said last week? Change our focus. 
we may, you know, none of us may be ready for this, to change our focus. But even a small percentage, if we change our focus, even a small percentage, that amount of happiness we'll gain. 1%, you think of the self, you'll get 1% of happiness. 5%, 5%, etc. Until you come to become a true yogi and you realize there is no happiness at all, then you'll become 100%. seeking the self. Then you'll find a cave and you live there and become self-realized because you have nothing left to do in the world. The yogi understands the uselessness of the world. So change your focus from the external, the world, to the internal, the self. Just a small percentage to begin with, it's fine. Which you're all, all of you are already doing. They're coming to these classes, you're already doing that. Hour, 15 minutes, you're thinking of the self in the whole week. Before that, you weren't thinking at all. So it's a start. And then as you discover that actually this is making me happy, this knowledge is making me understand and making me happy. I identify my partner better, my children better, my work colleagues better my neighbors, then you will slowly, slowly come to that conclusion that yes, this is what it's all about. Sarva Bhutahite Rakaha, one who revels in the welfare of others. This is the highest quality in a human being. And this is how we can compare, this is how we can judge how much we are developing. Am I able to identify with my colleagues? Am I able to identify with my neighbors? The self in me is in the self in them. No hatred then. That doesn't mean you become everyone's friend. You, somebody might be a bad person, you keep away from them, but you understand this is their nature, but the self in them is the same self in you. Is that clear, Deepa? Doesn't mean you become friends with everyone. Yeah, you get you get hurt in that way, but you have that understanding, that judgment. See, some people wish the downfall of others. I hope he fails in his business. Such a useless man. This is the lowest quality one can think of negative towards other people. He's a bad person, I hate him. I hope he, fall, hope he falls ill or hope he doesn't do well or whatever. Some wish you well. Hope you're good in business. Most people have this quality. Hope your health is good. Then Sarva Bhuta Hite Rataha. One who revels in the welfare of others, sincerely wishing others to do well. You revel, if they do well, you're really happy. This is the highest quality in the human being. No jealousy. He's celebrating, you're celebrating with him. Highest quality, you identify with the self. 
So this is the marker to spiritual development, identifying, seeing the self in all others. And then all other living beings, all creatures, plants, trees, everything. Everything is Brahman in this world. This world is Brahman, everything in it is Brahman. You'll come to that conclusion eventually. A person may say, I have hardly any desires. But for every little thing, they keep getting angry. I don't have much desires. They keep getting angry. This is why they talk about desires and anger all the time in the same sentence, desires and anger, free from desires and anger. Yeah, that's, we've heard that a few times in the verses, free from desire and anger. Why do they talk about that together? person says, I have no desires, but they keep getting angry. Nilam? Because we get angry when the fulfillment of our desires is obstructed. Mm. Absolutely. So even though you say, I have no desires, there are desires. You may not be fulfilling them. That's where anger comes in. You're thinking of a desire. Anger is a desire interrupted. You have a desire for cleanliness. This is a good desire. Someone drops a piece of dirt, piece of paper. You get angry, pick it up. But you say, I have no desires. In, you know, in some ashrams, people are so highly developed, but angry, they're all the time angry. And you think, how can they be so angry? Why do they get, where, where do they get that anger from? Desires. You go to any sort of religious institution, there'll always be someone high up, but anger is always there. You're studying in the morning, someone makes noise outside. You get angry, can't you see I'm studying? Taking you away from your studies, anger. So you have to be free from desires and anger to develop on the spiritual path. So from practicing the three yogas, you reduce your desires, you become free from desire and anger. And the result is you become self-controlled. What is self-control? When you have your five senses under control. Yeah, five senses under control. So there's no ups and downs. The mind is calm. The intellect does this job. Intellect keeps the mind calm. You become self-controlled. No agitations. You may not have any desires. You're not fulfilling any external desires. You're subduing those desires. But the mind is busy thinking about enjoying worldly experiences. So the mind's not subdued. The mind has also to be subdued. Meaning you're not even supposed to get desires in your mind that you're fulfilling. Physically, you may not be fulfilling desires. In the mind, you keep thinking about them. I fancy a pizza. 
I want to go here. I want to go there. You're not fulfilling them physically, but you're still mentally thinking about it. Self-control. When you have hardly any desires, you become self-controlled. The mind becomes subdued, calm. Only then are you prepared for meditation. So the Lord is preparing us for the next chapter, chapter six. The yoga of meditation. So we're preparing for that. All our desires are now completely gone. Few desires left. We take on meditation, which is the next chapter. Any questions? Does everyone understand subdued mind? Does everyone understand self-control? Any clarifications? Everyone understand anger? See, sometimes you may need to be angry, but you're still in control. A child is gonna cross the road running, running he's gonna about to run across the road. You grab him or her and you get angry at the child. You're using your anger for positive reasons. You tell the child nicely, the child won't understand, but you become angry at the child, so the child knows you're serious. You're using your anger. You're not getting angry. You're using your anger because that's the only language a child will understand. There's a difference there. Yeah, is everyone clear, Shashi? You may need to get angry at somebody, a colleague at work, but you're not, you don't lose your anger. You're in control of it. So there's a difference, yeah? Okay, any questions? Okay. Verse 27 and 28, we uh, chant together, just to let you know. Spal sangritva bahir bayam chaksus chevantare bruvaho pranapano samogritva Nasabhyantarajarino Sparsankritvabahirbhayam Chaksuschevantare bruvaho Pranapanao samokritva Nasabhyantarajarino Verse 28 Yatendriya mano buddhir Munir moksa parayanaha vigate chabyak payakrodo yasada mukta evasaha yatendriya mano buddhir munir moksa parayanaha vigate chabyakrodo yasada mukta Verse 27 translates as shutting out external contacts and fixing the gaze as though between the eyebrows, equalizing the flow of incoming and outgoing breaths in the nostrils. Verse 28 translates as having the senses, mind and intellect controlled, with liberation as the goal. The sage 
free from desire, anger, and fear, is verily liberated forever. It's talking about the end, liberation from this world, self-realization, explaining meditation, how to meditate, and the prerequisite that you need to meditate. Nilam, could you read paragraph one, please? These two verses provide the procedural details of meditation. Meditation is the final step towards spiritual liberation. In it, one practices the art of maintaining the mind in sharp focus upon one chosen thought to the exclusion of all other thoughts. The strategy of meditation is to converge the mind to single-pointed thought and ultimately crush that last thought out of existence. In order to achieve that state, you must first free your mind from its extroverted pursuits. Thus, verse 27 says meditation requires you to have shut out external contacts. What are external contacts? Anyone explain? What can, yeah, Shashi? Is it our five senses? Five senses, yeah. Which, so your external contacts, five senses, desires of the world, you shut out. Meditation cannot be practiced until you have reduced most of your desires. Then the mind is prepared. If the mind isn't prepared, there will be problems. And you try to meditate. I'm not talking about a few minutes closing your eyes. I'm talking serious meditation where you're trying to seek the self. Single pointed focus meditation. It's like asking someone who can't jog to do the marathon. You can just walk and you say, okay, get ready one week. You're gonna do the marathon. How is he going to cope? He's collapsed because he's not prepared to run the marathon. Similarly, if the mind is not prepared, external contacts are not in control, there could be serious issues. Because you're trying to force the mind to meditate, it won't work. In fact, it can do you serious injury. And your mind has so many desires. You try to meditate single-pointed on one thought. It can't be done. You can try it. If you can do more than two minutes, count yourself as self-control. You have some self-control. If you can do more than two minutes without the mind wandering on something. In the ashram, in the evening, we have bhajans. And then after bhajans, we do meditation only for two, three minutes. Just to understand how difficult it is. So straight off the bhajans, we stay seating and then close the lights and we all go into a form of meditation for a few minutes. Can't do it because the mind is not ready. Your mind will keep going to the place of your desires. This is the problem. When you're trying to keep it focused on one thought, it will jump to your desires. From one desire to another. 
What do I need to cook today? Tomorrow, I don't need to cook. We're going out for dinner. Then you come back, oh, 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 yes, yes, I'm trying to meditate. You can't control the mind. Mind is like that. It's like trying to keep a monkey tied down. You can't, it'll keep itching, this, doing that, doing that. You can't stop it from doing that. That's how the mind is. Monkey will not sit calmly. Keep jumping from one desire to another. You like music, you'll think of that. You are foodie, you'll jump to food. Keeps going to different directions. If you don't have many desires, then you won't go anywhere. It's got nothing to think about. It'll be much calmer, easier to control. You see the difference? So this is the preparation. This is why we need to prepare. What is uh, meditation? Can anyone explain what meditation is? Any idea? It doesn't have to be a precise um, explanation. What is meditation to you? And some of you must have performed meditation in one form or another. Any ideas? Yeah, Chandresh. Is it when you're clearing your thoughts? Clearing your thoughts? Why would you want to clear your thoughts? I'm just asking. Just to get sort of peace and tranquility. Yeah, so your mind is agitated. You sit quietly with your eyes shut, just to let it get out, go out. That agitation, the mental, whatever is agitating you, the thoughts, you're just letting it flow out. That's a way of, um, and that's an exercise that you can do to, do to do exactly what you're saying, but that's not meditation. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with what, you, what that is. But the problem is meditation, under the name of meditation, there's so many different things now. So many different procedures and processes under the name of meditation. Not true meditation, that's not real meditation. This is what we're saying. Meditation was created in the ancient days by these yogis, by these great sages, to become one with the self, to meditate on that single pointed concentration on one thought, to eliminate that last thought of becoming one with the self. That's true meditation. That's last process before self-realization. And it's a tool, a process to achieve that. Does that make sense, Alvin? Desire is all completed. You have no more thoughts of the world. You want to become one with the self, self-realization, liberated. You do, you, you practice meditation and you achieve that.
see right now, we can't even do general concentration. We try to concentrate how difficult it is to concentrate on one thing without the, without the mind going on other things. How can we meditate on a single pointed focus when we don't even have the capacity, capacity to do general concentration? So it's not easy. This is the point we're trying to make because we're dealing with the mind. So without offloading the desires, we can't meditate. We said last uh, class, there's an internal exercise and external exercise. We do those, perform those, and we reduce our desires. When the majority of our desires have been taken care of, then you can meditate. And these two verses, 27, 28, explains the procedure to meditate, how to perform meditation. So in simple terms, meditation is set, think of one thought and concentrate on that one thought. If any other thought comes into your head, you eliminate it. The intellect eliminates it gently. That's meditation. And there are certain tools available for us to do that. Anybody know what tool you can use for meditation? Any idea? Yeah, Nila. Um, you can use uh, a mantra. You can use like the rosary beads. You can use um, the breath, awareness yeah. of the breath, um, those kinds of things. Yeah. So rosary bead, Mara. We all have one at home. Any idea how you can use a Mara, a rosary bead for meditation? Why is there little beads and then one big bead at the top? Ever thought of that? Any idea, Shashi? Um, is it so that when you're in meditation that you, um, when you get to the big bead, it, your awareness raises your awareness somehow or makes you aware that, I don't know, I suppose if you're counting your rounds, it makes you, without breaking your meditation, it will make you aware that you have come to the end of the round. Okay, fine. Anybody else? Good attempt, Sashi. Is it to bring you back on the focus, to remind you, like, to bring it back onto the focus of what Absolutely the purpose right. Absolutely right. So the, the, the bead is to help you focus on that mantra you have. Om. Om, Om, Om. Sometimes the mind drifts. Yeah, the mind drifts. You're no longer saying Om because mind is gone somewhere, but you're still physically doing this. Yeah. When you come to the big bead, it gives you a jerk. Oh, yeah, what was, what was I supposed to be doing? Oh, yeah, Om, Om. Um, so it brings you back in line. It's like, it's like a police, it polices your thoughts. So that's why the big bead is there as a reminder what you're actually doing. So when your focus is gone, the big bead reminds you what you're supposed to be doing. It's genius. 
how they come up with all these tools. Because they know how the human being functions. They know where, how the mind functions. So all these things to control that. Still, we find it difficult. Does everyone understand? Verse uh, repeat. Tool to meditation. When you go off track, you reach the big beat, it gives you a jerk. Hey, get back to the chant. What are you doing? Nilam, paragraph two, please. The human mind runs wildly in all directions, seeking the pleasures of the world. Full of desires and agitations, it cannot even concentrate, much less meditate. Therefore, you must first reduce your desires by controlling your senses, mind and intellect through the practice of the three yogas, karma, action, bhakti, devotion and jnana, knowledge. The three yogas will help you withdraw your mind from its preoccupation with the world. A mind thus within remains calm. It is then prepared for the practice of meditation. Sit with your legs folded, forming a maximum base with your back and neck erect and your muscles relaxed. Equalize the flow of outgoing and incoming breaths in your nostrils. Proper regulation of breath is conducive for mental equanimity. Place your mind's concentration between your eyebrows. This suggestion given in verse 27 directs your gaze slightly upwards, symbolizing devotion. A mind turned upwards develops, de develops devotion. A devotional attitude of the mind is also conducive for meditation. With a detached and devoted mind, meditate upon the supreme self within. This practice will take you to the transcendental reality and liberate you from the limitations of this terrestrial world. So in this paragraph, it's given in a nutshell what you need to do how you do it, the procedure, how you sit. The procedure of meditation is to hold the mind on one thought. Whatever thought you want to, whatever mantra you want to use, it's up to you. You don't have to use, or you can use anything you want. It's irrelevant. Because that mantra is only there so you can decipher between the self and the world until you eliminate it. Even that mantra is from the world. The last thought. Shut out all external contacts. Withdraw the mind from the world so it is calm. Once you're prepared, sit cross-legged. Form a maximum base. Be comfortable. Neck and back erect. Eyes shut. Concentrate your mind between the eyebrows, in the middle here. Equalize the flow of the incoming outgoing of breath through the nostrils, meaning breathe normally. Don't need to take deep breaths, deep exhalation, just breathe normally. Any thought comes in your mind, let it go gently. This thought is not important for what I'm doing right now. I don't need to worry about it. Free from anger, desire and fear. When you have no desires, none of these will bother you. No fear, 
no anger. Then with a detached, devoted mind, raise your eyes slightly upwards. We say God is in heaven. So the eyes are pointed upwards, creates devotion. Liberation is your goal. What is liberation? Any idea? Liberation from where? Liberation from what? Is it freedom? Freedom. Not liberation from freedom. You want, you're, you're choosing freedom. But what is liberation? What are you trying to gain that freedom? How are you trying to gain that freedom? What's stopping you? That's what you need to liberate from. What's stopping you getting freedom? Liberation as your goal. Freedom. Freedom from desires. You become free, liberated. When you're free from your desires, when you're free from the world, free from your vastness, no more agitations. I want to reach the goal for the purpose of my life is to reach this goal. And that's what I'm going to do. Freedom is your goal, as Vijay Bhai said. Self-realization, freedom from all these shackles of life, this world. Because let's face it, it's the world that causes your agitations. When you're here in the class listening to the knowledge of the self, are there any mental agitations? Just listening to the knowledge of the self, are there any mental agitations within you? <laughs> Hardly any. Just getting the knowledge of the self, an hour you're not agitated. Can you imagine when you go on that quest, liberation? Meditate on the self within, chanting the mantra of your choice. Then the continuous practice of this will liberate you from the world, take you to the transcendental self-realization. And if you, when you become self-realized and you write your journal as to how you became, that will turn into an Upanishad. That's what Upanishad is. A person who reaches that state explains what that state is. You can have your own Upanishad and everyone will study it. Lipa's Upanishad. That's how it is. Any questions? Okay, let's do the last verse. Bhuktaram yajnata pasam sarvaloka maheshwaram surdam sarvabhutanam nyatvamam santim ritchati Bhuktaram yajnata pasam 
Sarvalokamaheshwaram Surdam Sarvabhutanam Nyatvamam Santim Richati Having known me as the enjoyer of sacrifices and austerities, the Supreme Lord of all worlds, the friend of all beings, he attains peace. Having known me as the enjoyer of sacrifices and austerities, the Supreme Lord of all worlds, the friend of all beings, he attains peace. What, is, what does me represent? It's got a capital M. What does me represent? Having known me, what's me? Yeah, Shashi? Referring to the self? To self. Whenever they refer to um, the self in the third person, like me, um, I, in capital letters, it, no, it always means the self. Yeah. So in other words, what it's saying is, having known the self as the enjoyer of sacrifices and austerities, the supreme lords of all words, the friend of all beings, the self is the friend of all beings, that person attains peace. Nilam, could, uh, sorry, Arunabin, could you read paragraph one, please? Prophets and enlightened sages have used the first person singular pronoun me to mean the self. Here is one such usage where Lord Krishna refers to the self as the enjoyer of sacrifice, yetna, and austerity, tapas, the supreme lord of all worlds and a friend of all beings. He who realizes the self becomes all this and attains peace. Let me just repeat, uh, read, uh, read the second paragraph. Yetnya means work done in a spirit of service and sacrifice for a higher ideal. Tapas, austerity, means conserving and directing your energy to the achievement of the ideal. Therefore, to practice yetnya and tapas, one must first fix to an ideal in life. An ideal is a common cause, purpose, or goal to work for beyond yourself selfish and self-centered interests. You can choose a limited or an absolute ideal. Limited ideals are those directed to the welfare of the world and beings in it, while the one absolute ideal is self-realization. Selfish and self-centered activities produce mental agitations and sorrow, whereas those dedicated to a higher ideal generate peace and harmony within it. The more you direct your energies towards an ideal and the more you practice sacrifice and austerity to achieve it, the more peace and happiness you command. Thus, by attuning to the self, you gradually come to enjoy total happiness. The self is therefore considered the enjoyer of sacrifice and austerity. Thank you. So the self is described as an enjoyer of sacrifice and austerity. When one practices sacrifice and austerity, pitches up a higher ideal, meaning being unselfish. Not your selfish interest, unselfish. This creates peace and harmony within. 
The greater the practice, the greater the peace and happiness you command. When you attune to the self as the ideal, then you gain complete joy. So what is your goal? It's saying be unselfish, think of others, have a higher ideal beyond your selfish interests. Do for others. So that's the starting point. So when you're acting in the world, have an ideal. To begin with, you may say, I'm going to work for my family. Then you may say, I want to work for my community. I want to work for my country. Whole humanity. This is being unselfish. Have a higher ideal. And this will give you peace and happiness, it's saying. When you choose the self, self-realization as your ideal, that will give you complete happiness and peace. This is what it's saying. But start with unselfishness. I remember when I was working in an audio store in Tottenham Road when I was younger. Not that I'm very old now, but... When I was a lot younger, <laughs> I used to work in a shop and uh, there's a friend of mine, Kiran, his name was Swaminarayan, devotee. So they were going to make the Nisdan temple. The plans were set. They were going to make the Nisdan temple. And he said, I'm only going to be working three days a week from now on. I said, why? What's happened? I'm going to help build the temple. So he went to the manager and said, I'll only be working three days a week. The manager said, well, that cannot work. We have to have you five days. He said, if three days, if I can't work three days, I'll be leaving my job. Higher ideal. Dedicated to higher ideal. The only thing he wanted to do was help build that temple, be part of that. He was so devoted. So unselfishness. Thinking of others beyond himself. This is what they're talking about, a higher ideal. Any questions? And he was so happy about it. He's going to earn less money and he's working for some uh, higher ideal for this cause. And you're so happy about it. Peace and happiness when you think of others of a higher ideal. Can you read the next two paragraphs, please? The self is also described as the Supreme Lord Maheshwara of all worlds. Every person experiences three states of consciousness in life, the worlds of the waker, dreamer, and sleeper. The self is the pure consciousness which supports all three states. Without the self, the waker will not experience the waking world. Neither will the dreamer and deep sleeper experience their respective worlds. The self controls and commands all states of consciousness. It is therefore the supreme lord of all the worlds. Finally, the self is considered a friend, so 
Suddha of all beings. A friend gives comfort, solace, happiness, whereas an enemy gives discomfort, trouble, sorrow. That marks a difference between the self and this world. Those who run after the world of objects and beings meet with stress, strain, and sorrow. On the contrary, the few wise ones who pursue and gain the knowledge of the self attain eternal peace and bliss. Thank you. So he's saying the self in living supports all three states of consciousness. So it's described as a supreme lord of all worlds. What he's saying is you're the self. There will be no waking dream and deep sleep states of consciousness without the self. A person who's no longer, who's died, he doesn't go through these three experiences anymore. So you are the self. That's why he's saying in the beginning, the enjoyer of sacrifices and austerities, everything you do is done, you do because of the self. So you can say the self is the enjoyer. No waking, no dream, no deep sleep without the self. Hence, the self is considered friend of all beings because it gives you happiness. It gives you joy. Whereas the world gives unhappiness and sorrow. This is the difference. Self is your friend. Friend of all beings, friend gives comfort, solace, happiness. Enemy gives discomfort, trouble, and sorrow. The enemy here is the world. It's the world that's stopping us from reaching our state of liberation and finding out who we truly are. So the world is our enemy. That's what he's saying in a nutshell. Does that make sense? What's stopping you reaching your goal as a human being? The world. Hence, it's regarded as your enemy. The person who reaches this state where he understands that the self within is the source of true happiness and the goal of human life, he enjoys through peace. So all it is is change your focus. The more you study, the knowledge of the self, the more you'll be convinced that this is what it's all about. Right now, you need to become convinced. Little by little, you'll get there. Any questions? It's like a conclusion to the chapter. We've covered it all already. So we have a few minutes because uh, this is the end of the chapter. Are there any general questions about this knowledge, about Vedanta, anything at all we can discuss? Your self-study, if you want to talk about any issues you're having studying, classes, anything at all we can have a quick chat. Yeah, I'll just have a quick question. And um, I often think about this, that we talk about self-sacrifice and having a higher goal and 
when and often you know we want to go and do work volunteer work or want to go and work for a community but i often find it involves too much politics and i think that's the bit for me is the kind of barrier mm. I, I i you want to do things and you want to help and you want to serve but it's all about their politics and so how do we balance that mm. and that's something that troubles me a lot good question anybody See, when you work for charities, I understand exactly what you're saying. Because when you do charity work, there is a lot of politics. Because it's an organization. Especially, especially community work. And that is something, um, and, and I guess in many areas of life, it's like that. But how yeah. do we do that then? Anybody have any suggestions? I don't know about this question. How do you do that? There's so many obstacles. Shashi? Um, would it be that you just stay focused on your intention mm. um, and try and block out all the politics and the other stuff that is going on and just do what you're able to do or what you're allowed to do mm. as such? Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Shashi. It's your mental state that matters, not physically what you're doing, which is what Shashi has just said. Your intention your attitude, that's what's important. Physically, you may do nothing. But what is my thoughts? Where are my thoughts? I want to serve. I want to help. And that attitude itself creates the result of your peace and happiness. You may physically do nothing. Does that make sense? I don't know. See, the body just acts based on what instructions it's given by the mind or the intellect. The body doesn't know if it's selfish or unselfish. The body doesn't know if you're serving or not serving. It's the mind that knows. So what's the intention? People do charity work for boost their ego sometimes. You know what I did? I do this every other week. I serve this. I spend this many hours helping this. It actually boosts their ego. A, per, a true server won't say anything. He'll just do it. Is that okay? I don't know. Sitl, you want to add something? Sitl would like to. I think if we're th th thinking about um, the reality of things, so every organization will have its politics and having that knowledge and understanding it shouldn't stop somebody from serving so knowing what it is accepting that reality is you saying well i'm never going to change this it is still going to exist whether i serve or not if the goal and the ideal is to serve, that shouldn't stop anybody. Mm. So you need to go beyond it. So it, the, the whole of this learning is going beyond people's uh, vasanas, people's, you know, understanding people's vasanas, understanding people's personalities, and then thinking, well, hang on, what is it that I need to do and want to do? If mm. it's something you need to do and want to do, you need to go beyond that. Mm. That's 
Yeah. Acceptance and yeah. doing what you want to do full stop. Yeah. Overcoming other people's egos and obstacles that are created there. If you can overcome them, then you should, without worrying about what people think, what people are saying, what people are doing. You know, in some cases, there may be a complete block where you can't do anything. You understand that as well. Yeah. But your intention is true. Your intention is unselfish. That's what matters. Thank you. That's very helpful. No problem. Any other clarifications? Great. So we just chant the last verse. Um, we chant the last mantra, when, which we should do whenever we finish a chapter. Om Tatsaditi Srimad Bhagavad Gita Supani Shastu Brahma Vidyayam Yoga Sastre Shri Krishna Juna Sambade Karma Sanyasa Yogo Nama Panchamotyayaha Om that is real. Thus in the Upanishads of the glorious Bhagavad Gita, the science of the eternal, the scripture of yoga, the dialogue between Sri Krishna and Arjuna, ends the fifth chapter entitled The Yoga of Renunciation of Action. And whenever we finish a chapter, we always read the first verse of that chapter again, so that we understand this isn't the end of our learning. We have plenty more to do. So it's not the end. So we chant verse one again. Arjuna uvacha sanyasam karmanam krishna punarayogam chasam sasi yachreya etayorekam tanmebruhi sunishchitam Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us today. Congratulations, we've finished five chapters. We will begin the sixth chapter next week. So please join us then. Have a lovely week. Thank you.